Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Support Wrestle Talk. Give us a subscribe. Hey everybody, I'm John Cena. Hey, it's professional wrestler Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Hey, I'm Double J Jeff here. This is Rich Swan, Matt Riddle, the King of Rose. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Do it, bro. Support Ollie. Support Luke. Support Wrestle Talk. Support Wrestle Talk. Home of Luke Owen. Whatever Wrestle Talk is, and whoever Luke Owen is, both the Ravens. Nevermore. Wrestle Talk. Hello and welcome to the Wrestle Talk podcast. I am Luke Hone and I'm joined by Denise Salcedo. Hey, Denise. I am so happy to be here. You have no idea. Well, we are thrilled to have you on here. So yeah, if you didn't hear the AEW podcast yesterday or seen our social media channels, Denise is now the new permanent co-host of the Friday Magazine show. And we are delighted to have you on. It's great. It's great. We, we're, we're big, big fans of your work. I'm happy. I have fans. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> right well we've got quite a long show here so let's dive straight into it and we are talking about the news that wwe could be bringing back fans sooner rather than later here is the show reported yesterday that SummerSlam uh, in the Northeast, which was kind of WWE's plan for a little bit, like the, the report has been that Vince is desperate to do SummerSlam in front of fans. And so they were looking into areas where they could do that. Um, and everyone was basically saying no because of the pandemic. Uh, so he said that the announcement was going to be made uh, shortly. And then uh, WrestleVotes were the first to report that it's going to be at the Amway Center in Orlando. Uh, they tweeted out strong sense of enthusiasm at the performance center. They all TVs after this coming Monday's Raw will indeed be live from the Amway Center in Orlando. Some normalcy is on the horizon. Brian Alvarez expanded on this on Resting Observer Live, saying that at present they will not be selling tickets to fans. But Vince wanted to. It's just probably not going to happen. It will likely be friends and family, like along with the Performance Center recruits, kind of like what AEW were doing at uh, Daly's Place. Um, the report is they're going to be running there at the Amway Center for the rest of the year rather than doing it at the Performance Center. And Alvarez said, quote, as soon as they feel they can get fans in the arena, they're going to do it. So, yeah, so we might be getting fans soon. I can't believe it. So first of all, I'm excited that they're going to this arena now. We're getting out of the PC because I think that was seriously affecting viewers where some people were just like, 
oh, it does not look good. And, you know, we've already had heard the complaints about the PC before, but now it's, it was just, it, it just felt different. Like you see AEW and they're shooting at Daly's place and then you see WWE coming out of the performance center. So I just feel like making this move is very, very much needed. I just feel like watching the show overall is going to feel a lot more different but at the same time I'm really scared like I'm that person that leans more to the I'm not going to go out I'm going to wear my mask I'm terrified to do even like the social distancing and we've seen I think there was just like this concert where they tried out the social distancing uh, like a new format and I saw what AEW did with Dynamite bringing in 150 fans and how they spaced people out and how they had mask patrols but at the same time like I'm just terrified but that's my personal opinion but I just think that with AEW starting it off it's a nice gateway to see what WWE will do with that when they start opening up for audiences but I just I, I'm hopeful that we're going to get people at this get people on the shows but at the same time I'm being realistic and the realistic fact is that COVID is still here and it's not gone that's exactly it yeah like i mean from sort of you know the outside looking in so you know the uk looking into america it does feel like that the the u.s perception of covid is just like ah, if we ignore it it'll just go away if we just pretend that, that everything is fine we'll just go back to normal regardless it is so true and it's terrible and like i just i feel bad because not all americans are like this so no. whatever you're seeing of us being portrayed on the news or whatever just know we're not all like that some of us <laughs> care some of us are cautious but that's the truth right we have the most covid cases and we're on the rise california is number one right now with florida and new york trailing right afterwards so it, it it's a very difficult spot to be in and we're seeing the numbers go up and down but you just have to be more cautious yeah, and that's the hope here is that because AEW have been very stringent with their testing. Um, there were reports from uh, the the taping that they did this week you know, on Wednesday that the, the 150 people that were invited in were socially distanced. Like their seating plans were already set out. They were only sat together if they were already in like, you know, predetermined groups. So, you know, if you come from the same household, they were getting tests throughout the show and their temperatures checked throughout the show. Not tests done throughout the show, their temperature checked throughout the show were made to wear masks and there were mask patrols going around to make sure they were and they were sat away from the wrestlers around the ring and inside the ring um and wwe since they had their outbreak have been more reportedly have been more stringent with their testing as well and making sure that people are okay so i'd like to think that if wwe do open this out and i i really think it's sooner rather than later like i wouldn't be surprised if we're gonna have the friends and family situation at SummerSlam to try and like pack the place out a little bit i would just like to think that they are going to be very stringent with their testing and making sure that people are safe and that they feel safe there Exactly. I think if the precautions are taken, because here's the thing, for again, AEW, they just had those 150 people. What I did love that they did is that they had the mass patrol or somebody like really going around and making sure that people were actually wearing their masks, which I think is very important to have sort of somebody policing everybody. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to say, I've been seeing, you know, we saw the Sturgis Festival, which brought in, uh, I think it was South Dakota, brought in like thousands of people and nobody was wearing their masks. So the fact that they actually took precautions, uh, AEW, I feel that I can't necessarily completely be against it, like bringing in audiences because they did take precautions. And 
I just hope that if WWE brings in people, whether it's family or friends, it doesn't matter, fans, whatever, that those same precautions or even more are also accounted for. And you brought the point up earlier, actually, which is a really smart one, is that I think that one of the reasons why WWE's ratings have been on the decline, particularly on the Raw and SmackDown things, because AEW and NXT have kind of bounced back to where they were the pre-COVID days, um, particularly AEW and NXT very much so as well. But Raw has constantly seen this decline. And I think part of that is the perception of the show. I think that the audience that's been watching this show for 27 years on, on Monday nights is watching being like, this doesn't look like the Raw that I'm used to. I'm not going to watch until it does look like the Raw. So bring it, putting it into the Amway Center, kind of giving it that more of a, an arena feel again, might in turn bring back some of the viewership? It has to. So in my interview with Kurt Angle, he that's exactly what he said. He's like, I know the, I know the ratings have gone down, but it's because there are no fans. And it doesn't seem – you would – Prior to this, obviously, maybe we didn't realize how big of a difference the fans actually make, but it really does because sometimes you go in and I know that they have the NXT, the NXT talent, you know, cheering and booing and all of that, but it does not feel the same as having an organic and real audience. It feels it feels more staged, right? When you have the NXT talent doing like their cue marks and all of that. So because of that, I just feel like it's a huge effect. And that's also one of the things that he mentioned in the interview as well was like, you know, he was a producer with WWE and he said people are changing things. Like people are frustrated behind the scenes in WWE with the fact that they have no audience to work with. And think about it here going out like this is like the A show where it's, you know, we've been used to forever feeding off the energy, off the fans, even just the audiences at home watching. And now it's it's gone. It's not there. So it really I'm not surprised it's made a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on this one at the time of the recording. Uh, it's Friday morning for me. It's Thursday night for Denise. Thanks. Time difference. Uh, Actually, thank you for now it's up. Friday morning for me, too. I just turned Friday morning. <laughs> Oh, man, did we get our timings wrong? I thought it was 11 p.m. for you. <laughs> no, now it's midnight. Oh, no. That's why you messed me at 7. Right, okay. That makes more sense because you messed me at 7. I was like, oh, brilliant. I'm going to get Denise on an hour earlier. She could get to bed a bit earlier. No, sorry. Okay, we got our timings wrong. We'll sort this out for next week. Um, uh, okay, so on to AEW. Uh, sorry, to finish the point. At the time of this recording, no tickets are on sale yet, but I really do think it is sooner rather than later. Uh, the ratings war for Wednesday night, uh, both shows were down, but not in a sort of huge way. AEW averaged uh, 792,000 viewers, which is down 12% from last weekend. NXT uh, was at 619. Uh, they were representing Rey Mysterio with 619,000 viewers, a drop of 17, nearly 19% from last Wednesday. But there was more competition this week. Uh, Meltzer writes, that it was Shark Week on the Discovery Network and the cable news coverage of Joe Biden choosing Kamala Harris as his running mate, along with cable TV ratings on the night. Uh, that's in addition to NBA and MLB games, along with the NHL starting the opening round of their playoffs week. So, like that's that's some heavy some heavy ass competition for both shows. Dynamite had a 0.32 rating in the 1849 demo, and NXT did not fare well with a 0.16, which uh, fell out of the top 50 charts, finishing 60 fifth for that demo which is down 20 percent from last week it's the second lowest number for nxt in that category since may so some good and some bad news for uh the ratings there just want to get your thoughts on that and uh, both shows okay so i had 
I'm going to say that I think that the major issue, though, when watching AEW and NXT side by side, they I've said this before, but I have to like sort of elaborate the fact that AEW, I feel right now has been putting uh, a lot more in terms of in terms of excitement. They've been adding a lot of different layers to their programming to dynamite. So when you watch it, it's very, very fast paced. And so it's one second. This is happening. OK, the next this is happening. And it's a very different style from what you're seeing on NXT. But NXT has this, you know, all of their matches quality are fantastic they're phenomenal but I do think that something that is lacking is more story more storylines I do think that AEW sort of carrying it in that sense it's a little bit more lighter a little bit more fun so I think in terms of the demographics that's why certain people appeal to AEW and certain people uh, you know gravitate towards NXT but for the actual shows itself I thought that NXT uh, you know I love carrying cross I I know some people didn't like the whole firebomb thing with Keith Lee, but I was actually a fan of that. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, overall, I thought they had a good show. Uh, none of the matches I thought really stood out. I thought, if anything, this was probably one of the weaker NXT shows in terms of match quality. I did think that. And then uh, for AEW, I loved the MJF. Uh, John Moxley segment. I thought that was probably the best because I just think that MJF what he is bringing in terms of character and what John Moxley brings in terms of presence, they sort of complement each other so well because they're so different. And you like, hey, MJF, but you want to see him like go down and do like, go like through all like this bad stuff, right? And jo and Moxley, you want to see him sort of kick his ass and whatnot. So I thought they complemented each other very well. I was happy to see Scorpio Sky back. I love the Matt Hardy backstage segment, especially because, you know, there is some truth to, uh, you know, being him being upset with Sammy Gravara. We did hear that there was heat behind Sammy Gravara for that chair shot. So I thought that was a good one as well. So there were uh, a lot of good moments, I thought, for AEW this week. Yeah, I to to echo what you said there. I said this on the AEW review yesterday, but I cannot wait to see John Moxley kick MJF's ass. Like I I want to see him beat him up so bad because you that want to see it. Yeah. Right. He's such a great heel. And and I love Moxley as a babyface. So I like I'm really looking forward to seeing him beat him up at all out. But in in a in a bit of a sadistic way, I'm kind of hoping that MJF wins because I kind of want to see what a like dick heel he would be as champion so yeah i'm i'm I've, i loved that i thought it was really really great and the the ftr heel turn i thought was, was expertly done with the rock and roll express really like that loving that tag division at the moment uh lastly before we get into the mailbag there is some aew news um so the profiles of jimmy havoc v Priestley, and sadie gibbs were removed from the website kind of without really any notice um havoc and Priestley were sort of part of the speaking outs uh, allegations. Jimmy Havoc in particular was accused of many, many things, and he was suspended from the company uh, and was said to be going into rehabilitation. That was an AEW uh, statement. So he's now been released. B. Priestley, uh, the girlfriend of Will Ospreay, was kind of involved in the allegations that were made against him. So we can probably presume that both of their releases, and this is presumption on our part, 
that's only on my part. This is Havoc and Priestley were likely released on there. Sadie Gibbs, on the other hand, um, she posted up on Twitter saying, uh, it's my journey. It's been one hell of a ride. I never expected to get it easier. I just expect my core values and perception to evolve for me to always find hashtag grace within the moving forwards. Hashtag undefinable. Thank you so much, Tony Khan, AEW, for giving me the chance of a lifetime praying hands emoji. So I think like that one feels like it was probably a an amicable split like that was something they might have come together an arrangement together i mean it's likely because she's not able to get over to the us because she's uh, she is english and in the uk so but yeah but i think with with havoc and priest we can probably presume it's uh, due to the speaking out movements i think it kind of has to be though because jimmy havoc like uh you know it, it was i from from the start i thought that they kind of were easy on him in terms of the punishment that they gave him it kind of just didn't really coincide i thought to myself if anything i don't think the company would want this bad publicity so they should just sort of end the relationship there so i'm actually surprised that he lasted this long with the company after the speaking out movement and for bia priestley it she was along the same lines where she had these allegations against her for blackballing a girl who came out uh you know talking about a, a a rape situation that she went through so both of them have that in common and in terms of Sadie Gibbs I think for her like you said she couldn't get into the country and it was very unfortunate because I think if anybody she had a lot of potential uh, her look she she had a lot of potential for the company to do a lot with her so I think for her it was just more like things didn't work out but it's just wild and the same thing with Bea Priestley like at the beginning AEW was looking like they were building around her and all of that and it just sort of went downhill from there as well so I'm not surprised though with Jimmy Havoc though yeah I think that one really didn't come as much of a surprise I think like AEW are very conscious about sort of their public perception I think they were you know really had that on their mind when they brought back Sammy Guevara um, you know, we haven't seen Excalibur on TV for the last few weeks. Like he's apparently he took himself like off TV as well because he didn't want sort of like his the the you know the, the all the, the chatter that's been about him didn't really want that affecting the TV product and things like that. So I think the AEW are quite a sort of aware of these things. So yeah, Jimmy Havoc being released really isn't much of a surprise. Uh, it's sort of in the cold, hard light. Um, yeah, it's interesting with Sadie Gibbs. I, I suppose we'll see what comes out from that. But yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it's probably an amicable split. It kind of sucks because their women's division kind of needs some like, yes. kind of need some more talent in then and then, you know, to release one of them. It kind of, even if, you know, you can't get there, which I, I think was probably part of the problem. And I'm wondering, too, if they're going to be releasing more people or if this mm. is it. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll wait and see in a couple of hours or in a couple of days whether or not there'll be more names. But, I mean, so far right now, given the fact that they're really seeing people that, A, we haven't really seen much of or didn't have the best light right now, uh, I'm not surprised at all with the names that they've chosen. But still, I'm curious to know if they're going to remove more people. I mean, I hope not, but, you know. Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you like quizzes? Do you like wrestling? Do you like watching self-professed experts in their fields being exposed as dangerous frauds? Then you'll love Quizzle Mania, brought to you by Parts Fun Known, the team behind acclaimed wrestling RPG No Rolls Barred. Join us every week as four wrestling pundits pit their knowledge against each other in a cerebral wrangle for prizes, glory, and a bit of good old-fashioned escapism. Enjoy the videos live every Wednesday on Parts Fun Known's YouTube channel, or subscribe right now to have them beam straight to your mobile device. Quizzlemania, it's the showcase of the Amorons. Let's uh, dive into the Patreon mailbag. If you want to submit a question to the mailbag for me and Denise to answer, become one of our pledge hammers over on Patreon at any dollar amount and leave a comment in the community tab. Do not email me. I will just lose it. I'm bad at my job. Uh, kicking things off, Erectly says, uh, if you can ask Vince McMahon any question and he cannot lie to you, what are you asking? Okay, I think I would ask him, what's the most shocking backstage story that or backstage moment excuse me that you were part of like what's the wildest thing where even you were like i'm shocked that this is happening like what's the craziest backstage story that's what i would yeah. want to know but see now that's a really smart answer because my instant thought was just like okay what are the stories we know about that vince was involved in but you've you've got out of the park there because you removed that aspect and just be like no, you tell me. Yes, I want to know. I want to know the stories we haven't heard. I want to yeah. know the, the juicy stuff. <laughs> That's great. The truth. <laughs> uh, Balafix UK uh, says random question, uh, but do, who do you guys think will win next year's Royal Rumble matches? I have a feeling it might be Roman's time again if he returns by then, and perhaps Naomi for the Women's Rumble. Thank you. Naomi is a good pick for the Women's Rumble, but. I would, at that point, I think I would like to see Rhea Ripley for the women. 
good yeah yeah particularly yeah because i mean my kind of theory was that it was going to be flair like you bring flair's you know gone for a while they reckon she might be back for the rumble so you bring back flair she wins the rumble two years in a row goes on to headline wrestlemania um or you know possibly face rhea ripley again and you sort of like do it as a year-long storyline and i wonder if that was kind of their plans before uh charlotte had to go out but I, yeah, I, I can certainly see that Roman's a really good shout, actually, particularly if like he's been gone for a while and sort of like, you know, if there is sort of that clamor for him to come back and kind of like inject some main events uh, presence back to the SmackDown brands, Reigns is a really good shout, actually. It would. I feel like obviously it would give him that resurgence that he would need back into the roster and all of that. But I just I like to always as a fan, I look forward to seeing people win the Rumble that I a didn't expect or B that I just feel this is their moment to like rocket them into stardom. So I always wanted to be somebody that I haven't seen before that hasn't been in the main event picture. Like I want to be like excited about it. So somebody like an Adam Cole or someone like that, that's who I would want to see win the rumble. So somebody that you want to have like that top spotlight moment. It's why like the 2020 rumble was so great with Drew winning because like going into that rumble, absolutely. I did not see Drew winning coming at all. Really? did not know. I mean, I had Roman down to win. I think I have Roman down to win every year. But I had Roman <laughs> down to win the Rumble because I thought they were going to do the big, like him and sort of Goldberg program or him and the Fiend, I think I had down originally. I thought they're going to, you know, Roman's the man to slay the Fiend. So when Drew came in and he claimed more Brock out the, the ring, I was like, oh my God, is my boy Drew going to win? One of the nicest men. I was like, is my boy Drew going to win the Rumble? Well, I think it's kind of like the fan favorite never really wins like the one that everybody wants it usually doesn't happen so i i had a feeling that it had to be him but at the same time i was like oh maybe they won't go with who the people want so Mm. i think it's more of that uh jordan thomas quite a long question this one but i think it's one that deserves answering uh he said a few uh, weeks back adam and alex were discussing naomi and her recent push due to her trending on twitter they brought up good points which made me think about wwe and how they book minority wrestlers what i think frustrates me most about wwe among other things is how they seem so reluctant to book minority wrestlers like top stars in the company for example seth lost the universal championship to the fiend afterwards led Team Raw during Survivor Series and began his run as the Monday Night Messiah gimmick, which is still going on as we speak, and we know it's only a matter of time before he gets another shot at the title. Meanwhile, Kofi lost the WWE Championship to Brock in eight seconds, placed back in the New Day with various directionless feuds, and most of us know he'll probably never get another shot at the title. But as Alex and Adam stated, it's not about championships. It's knowing the com- it's knowing the company sees your worth, knowing the company will devote all their time to give you an individual, uh, as an individual, the best storylines and opportunities to be successful. People are excited about Naomi getting a push, Big E getting a push, Keith Lee being a major star when he comes to the main roster. But I seriously have my doubts based on history. The Hurt Business could be much more dominant if they were just given, uh, if they weren't given the ceiling of a mid card act. Bianca Belair was booked to be dominant in the Royal Rumble. Now she's directionless. Andrade should be challenging for the main title at this point but he's stuck battling in the tag division ali despite being very popular just lost on main event to riddick moss not saying that wwe should just push a person because of diversity but the roster does include wrestlers of color who should be treated like top stars in the company and booked strong with or without a title like seth roman charlotte etc bianca bella could be a big if not bigger start than becky lynch in my opinion if wwe just gave her the opportunity yes yeah, so okay here's my issue with that so my issue is that i hate when people say oh 
like let's say they put up a Latino or a woman or a black person or whatever, whoever they decide to put in that main spot. I don't like when people say, oh, they're just there because they needed a token Latino or a token Latina or whatever it is, because it always comes down to that. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, look at whatever this person has been doing. I don't like the fact that people, when they get to that spot, we have to be bringing out all these bullet points as to why they should be there. And then speaking in terms for like the Latino stars that have been in WWE, we have not really seen anybody that, I mean, yes, okay, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. Okay, yes, we saw Alberto Del Rio get to the top and all of that, but like the, like the person mentioned, Andrade is one of the most charismatic, most in-ring talented performers. And he's sort of just floating around on the Raw roster. And so I would really, given the fact that people are drawn to people like Angel Garza and Andrade, you see it. It's not like they're, if they were to get a main push, a main event spot, it's not just because, oh, they need a Latino to take that Latino spot. No, they are actually competitors that are great and they have the charisma. Same thing with Bianca Belair. I mean, I cannot tell you, I think that she has something that a lot of the women, it's something that it's natural. And you can't teach that. You can't teach what Bianca Belair has. Like, not I'm not just talking about the athleticism, because yeah, you can learn to be athletic or no, or you can you can you can learn the moves and all of that stuff. You can learn technique, but she has something more, something extra that you just can't teach. And so because of that, she has that thing that that Becky Lynch has, that Charlotte Flair has, that gets them to the top. So I do think that there needs to be a bigger effort to help those people, those people that have all the tools, help them in terms of booking to get them to that spot where they should be. If Bianca Belair is getting over just like Becky Lynch was, then okay, help Bianca Belair get even more further along with the fans. And there's so many other people that I haven't even mentioned that obviously would deserve an incredible spot in the company. But yeah, I do agree. I think that there needs to be more and I think they are making it. I think we're seeing glimpses of it, like more effort. I mean, look at what Zelina has been doing with her stable as well. So we have been seeing effort, but I do think it's gonna be a little bit of a progress until we get there. But I'm hoping though, I'm hoping that we yeah. do get there. Like and you you say, you know, you got you've had Ray, or we've had Ray, Eddie, and Alberto, but like, you know, Eddie was 2004, Ray was a top star 2006, Alberto was, you know, 10 years ago, like, it's been a, a long time, and when you've got someone like Andrade on the main roster, like, man, like, what a, an incredible talent that should have been instantly slotted into that main event scene, but it, Ollie and I recently were talking about this, uh, while we're recording, it's not been released yet, because I think it'll be out next week when we finish it, we're reviewing SummerSlam 2010 for the Patreon podcast, and the opening match on that card is Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston, which is basically, it's a running joke that it's always the opening match on a card. If, you, if you're watching a pay-per-view around that time, it's likely going to open with Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston. But we were talking about how, like, you know, WWE never capitalized on Dolph Ziggler ever, really. They never pushed him as a top guy. Um, even, you know, the SummerSlam uh, Survivor Series, rather, 2014 match, when he was like the, the, the sole survivor, pushed to the moon in that match. The very next, like the very next month, back to the mid card you go. Like they never saw anything in him. And I think that's what WWE's problem often is, is that when you go into the company, you are slotted into a position. 
Kofi, yes. when, he, when he was in, when Kofi signed with WWE, he was slotted at a position. You are a mid-card guy. And he got that WWE title picture. But even when he won the title, he was still positioned as a mid-card guy. He wasn't given like main event feuds. We talked about it last year during his run, but he felt like the third most important thing on SmackDown behind Roman Reigns' main storyline and um, Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens. You know, that's your WWE champion. He's the third most important thing. He's feuding with Dolph Ziggler. He's feuding with these sort of like mid-card guys. And then, yeah, loses the title, straight back down to the mid-card you go because that's the perception they're at. And I just got this, I, I, I don't want WWE to look at someone like Andrade or Angel Garza and just think like, ah, right, you're mid-card. That's where you're slotted in. We may push you into the main event for a brief period, but as soon as that's done, you're back to the mid-card you go. But someone like Seth Rollins, a Randy Orton, a Roman Reigns, a Charlotte, when they come in, they're like, oh, right, you're a main eventer. And we're going to push you as a main eventer, even if that's, you know, even if it's not the right move, you're a main eventer because we've decided that you are. And it's kind of like, I 100% agree with you because that's what it is. And it's kind of like, what is the ingredient? What is the recipe that you need? Because if you look at people, for example, Drew McIntyre, when he was first with the company, I mean, he was not going to be in that main event picture like he is now. But then he leaves the company. He reinvents himself, comes back with this new look, has this whole other, you know, has this whole arsenal of ex more experience and work and has worked different styles with different wrestlers all across the globe. Right. So he sort of elevated himself. So with that, he made himself into that main eventer where they changed the, percep the perception of him. Right. But then there's people like AJ Styles. AJ Styles was already this big name prior to WWE and so when he came in he came, I mean he didn't go to NXT no he went straight to the main roster and so it's kind of like in my opinion you have to have something already before going into the company that makes you just that much more grander but at the same time that's not always the case because we have seen other guys that come in where you're just like oh man he's got so much hype behind him i mean look at ec3 think of all the hype that he had going into the company and then that fell short uh samoa joe had a lot of hype shinsuke nakamura had a, not, a lot of hype and yeah they had some moments but they didn't have necessarily that big 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 moment. Yeah, and it's it's funny actually because my my next actually good video is going up tomorrow, uh, which is um, is CM Punk actually good? Uh, would you provide a little bit of audio for? Thank you very much, Denise. Um, and <laughs> in that, I kind of make the point that Punk was brought in despite all the pyro and ballyhoo that he had coming in. He was a mid card guy. Like that is what WWE saw him as, and it wasn't until that pipe bong promo that changed their mind and they and they but even then when he won the title he was still like underneath john cena like john cena versus john laurinaitis was the main story and punk was just like as champion uh, you know over the limit 2012 you're not the main event with daniel bryan john cena versus john laurinaitis is the main event uh with daniel uh, it, so yeah it's it is frustrating uh, i think sometimes particularly if it's a guy if it's a, if it's a wrestler that you really like like I, oh, I yeah. love Bianca Belair. I think she's so great. And like when you you were sort of talking about her then, like you know, it's when she came into the May Young Classic, um, the first one, and she just made that entrance. You're like, oh, you're a star. You're an absolute star, and you are. There's such a bright future ahead of you. And she's very young as well, so there is a lot of time for her. But yeah, I think there's a lot. We still got time. Still got time with Bianca. Uh, Dwayne <laughs> <Yeah>. the Gronk. <laughs> 
Dwayne the Gronk Johnson says, um, what would you say are some of the dumbest cliches in wrestling? For me, it has to be the idea that all baby faces are friends with each other and all heels are friends with each other. Some of the dumbest cliches in wrestling. So I think mine is that I don't like that just because someone is the bigger wrestler, the more muscular wrestler, that it means he's the best wrestler. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a big cliche. That's and so we've good, seen yeah. it a lot. We're like, oh, the big guy comes in. Oh, we need seven people to take him out. I'm like, no, get a really good wrestler. And I'm sure he can out wrestle this big guy. And so I think that's one of my cliches. And, and yeah. I'm sure there's more. I just haven't thought of them right now. No, that that's really good. SummerSlam 2010, I'll bring that up again. It's the match. It's it's Big Show versus three members of the Straight Edge Society. And like all of the booking around that match is just like, look how big the Big Show is. There's no way. Like, look how big he is. He's so big and he's so strong. And I'm like, man, w Vince has not changed his booking style since the 1980s. Like that is, that is, it's what he did with Andre and it's all he's ever done. And I mean, look at the whole what they did with, with, uh, with, with, uh, with Gable, with the Shorty G gimmick. Yeah, Come on. Right? Like you're making fun of his height and he's the because he, he's a short person, but I'm sure he can kick like a lot of people's butts. Okay. That's just the that's just the truth there. So the fact yeah. that you know, size is really not really not the factor in whether or not someone's tough or not. And like you go back two years ago and you had that uh, the feud with Big Cass and Daniel Bryan. That's all their feud was around as well, is that you are short and I am tall. You fast forward <laughs> two years and you're now with Baron Corbin and Shorty G, whose feud is you are short and I am tall. Like, right. On, <laughs> exactly. And I get it. The David and Goliath story. We all we all love that story, but we don't need it every single time. Uh, Kevin says, I'm currently watching WrestleMania 31 and just finished watching Sting versus Triple H. Now, remember why this match was a disappointment. WWE had two legends of the business facing off against each other. This is Sting's first match in WWE. And despite their age, they could deliver a great match. But... It was built around WWF versus WCW, a, raw, a war that hadn't been relevant in years. Commentary was unbearable with JBL and Cole bragging about WWE and WrestleMania being the big lead, bigger than Starcade. JBL constantly screaming, we won the war. He's here to take our jobs again, which really he wasn't. And then, of course, the involvement of DX in the NWO, which really wasn't necessary. My question is, can you name a match that should have been great, but was damaged by the build around it? I'm sure you have a few, but stick to one. Okay, I'm going to go with something recent. Now, I'm going to have to go with a recent one, and it's going to be Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, eye for an eye match. Because I remember saying this match with these two incredible wrestlers did not need that horrible stipulation and the horrible, I'm going to take your eye out thing. So because I, I'm, I don't think it ruined the match because the match was good, but I do think that the built surrounding that match was not good yeah i mean we were saying during the live stream reaction too it's just like god i just want to see these two have a match like i just want to see these two have a, do a do a wrestle um i i'm i'm gonna say for me i've got i know kevin's only asked for one but there's two that springs to mind and it's bret hart's vince mcmahon at wrestlemania like it was a match that didn't need this big convoluted storyline where Bret Hart breaks his leg, but didn't really break his leg. And it was all a big ruse to make Vince didn't need that. And then the match was really badly laid out. And that match needed to be one thing. It needed to be like Bret Hart goes in, punches Vince McMahon, locks in the sharpshooter and Vince McMahon taps. That's all we needed. It needed to go no more than 15 seconds. It did not need to go 15 minutes. Give um, the people what they want. <laughs> 
And the other one in the exact same mode is um, like Jerry Lawler versus Michael Cole at WrestleMania. Because like it, it had a quite a convoluted build, but some of it was really good. But the match itself, did we need to see Michael Cole work over Jerry Lawler? For like, no, did, no we didn't. No, in no world, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, wrestling fans, we don't always agree on everything, right? Everybody has a different opinion. I think on this one, I'm going to say that at least 99.9% of the people would say no. (laughs) I hope I'm not wrong on that. Well, we'll find out in the comments. Uh, Callum says, if WWE uh, was closed down by AEW buying them out, who do you think would stay away from AEW and who do you think would go to the company? And if it was the other way around, who would your picks be? I think there's a few names like Cole, you know, friends with uh, the Bucks. Like I think Rollins has probably got some connections with them as well. I think there's some names you could probably, like Keith Lee, I think is, you know, the, the people that sort of toured around with the Young Bucks, particularly in like PWG and things like that would certainly be like, they would sort of open the doors to be like, welcome home, welcome back into the fold. I think something like Randy Orton as well, because, you know, he's good friends with Cody. That he'd probably want to go there as well. But what, did the question also include people that wouldn't go? Yeah, who wouldn't go? Who would like, who would stay away? I'm going to go with Triple H. <laughs> <laughs> Although, can you imagine that? What that would be like if, the, let's just say something happened and AEW survived. We saw WCW, WWE all over again. Uh, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like, that's just, I, I feel like my brain would explode. I love that because I've just, like, instantly was fancy booked into this alternate reality where AEW wins and buys out WWE. Triple H doesn't go and he starts his own wrestling promotion that's well, like, I mean, it's the true alternative to to the AEW uh, behemoth. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, back in the day when WCW was pulling in 11 million viewers, I don't think those people ever thought the company would die. And, you know, look at now. We're not getting 11 million viewers watching Raw. So the fact that that went down, it's, I mean, I don't want to say no, knock on wood. No. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Hedman says, uh, number one, what made you a fan? Number two, what keeps you a fan? And number three, what promotion that isn't on the network do you wish you could see so you could go back and relive the glory days? All right. So the first one was what made you a fan? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what made me a fan is I started recording shows for my uncle. And so I would record raw every week because he was at work on v like you know the little vcr recorders Mm -hmm. and so what made me a fan was that i would watch every single week the shows so essentially i ended up starting to follow the storylines but i was attracted to people like austin like jericho what i think what attracted me more was the personality aspect of it you know the very character driven stuff what keeps me a fan it's weird. It's just something that's been a part of my life for so long. And when something's been a part of your life for so long, it's just a part of who you are, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine, even if I were to say tomorrow, I'm done watching wrestling. I'm done. I don't know. I would still know what's happening. I would still yeah. know the news. I would still, I just can't imagine not knowing about it. It would still be part of my life. 
And what was the third question? Uh, what promotion that isn't on the network, which is actually quite timely because they've now, like, as of tomorrow, they're adding a whole bunch of network, a uh, whole bunch of stuff onto the network. I saw that. I don't think I have one in particular, honestly. And I'm also subscribed to, like, every other, like, every other wrestling subscription. I'm on it. So I don't have a specific one for that one. Yeah, I was going to say, like... I TNA was the one that jumps to mind, but like I can get Impact Plus, so I can just I can watch that on there. Exactly. Um, what made me a fan was Cactus Jack Triple H Royal Rumble 2000. Like I just like, and that was just, it was such a great story, and it's it was and like you're right, like it was the characters that that really kind of kept me there to be like, oh wow, like this is amazing. And then you like the Rock and all these big big stars, and it's just like you just sort of fell in love with it and be like, wow, I can't stop watching this thing. It's so cool, but. And what keeps me a fan is, yeah, it's, it's always been there. Like, I, I did stop watching wrestling. After 2002, after the, the invasion was done, which I, I was really let down by, and then I, it, it was when, I've, I've told this story many times, when Hogan won the title of Backlash 2002, I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't need to see, I, I, this, this isn't the company that I, this isn't the wrestling I was like. Also, my friends had stopped watching. But when I went to university and my friend was into wrestling, my housemate was into wrestling, and we watched New Year's Revolution 2005 together, he was like, oh, hey, I'm going to watch this. Um, uh, my friend has just sent me up the, the tape. Do you want to watch it? I was like, yeah, yeah, fine. I'll give it a go. As soon as it started, I was like, I'm back. I'm back in. <laughs> like, it, I, I, I haven't watched wrestling cool. in a few years. It really was. Like, I hadn't watched wrestling in a few years, but as soon as it came back in, I was like, oh, yeah, I love wrestling. Wrestling's great. And then I just spent, like, my university years going back and re-watching all the stuff that I'd missed. It happens, though. It happens. I remember, like, when I went to college, I was sort of, like, not as up-to-date with things. But then, again, all of a sudden, I'm not as busy anymore. I'm back. You're back. It, it's it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I think it also helped at the time I went, like, in that 2005 period, I went through a pretty bad breakup. And uh, my friend, Sue, she she broke up with me on the, the same day as Royal Rumble 2005. And my friend, to cheer me up, said, look, we're going to go watch uh, Rumble 2005 live with uh, around a friend's house. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, do you know what? It's better than wallowing in sadness. So, uh, yeah, I'll go watch the show. Wait, you got dumped on probably one of the most exciting days to be a wrestling fan. Like, I don't care how, like, bougie anyone is about their wrestling taste. Everybody gets excited for the Royal Rumble. It's fun, okay? So that's that's really sad. I hope you don't think about that anymore when you watch the Rumble. It's it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm married now. Time, times have moved on. It was 15 years ago. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Reese says, um, I've been thinking about this for a while now, and I'm curious to get an outside opinion on this. At what point should The Fiend face off against Randy Orton, given the history of not only Orton as a character, but the snake in the family storyline, often being cited as the last nail in the coffin of Bray's cult leader run? surely it's something they've been thinking about i feel like it's a little bit down the line i almost feel like right now with brandy orton he's had this resurgence where i don't know what his plan was with wrestling five years ago but i have a feeling whatever his plan was it's changed now with all the new things that he's been doing with edge right now working with drew i mean he's needed right now like he's seriously needed and not just needed but he's doing a great job uh I don't know, but I still see, I see it a little bit more down the line. Yeah. I mean, like what Reese is, uh, it kind of goes on a little bit in the the message. And it's something that I really do agree with. It's kind of like, it's going to be hard to, to book that match as well, because like Randy's not someone you want to book in a fiend style match where the fiend just sort of dominates everything. And it's just like no selling people's offense. And with the Randy Orton character now, like it's, it feels like such a weird clash. Like I, I honestly, if you 
put me in a room and said, book this match. I don't know how I would do it. Absolutely wouldn't have a blues clue about how to do that <laughs> where you satisfy the fans and not, not send people home unhappy. I, I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't it know would, where to start. Yes, it'd be like a whole trying to connect the dots. Oh, let's connect yeah. to that. Yeah, that's why I said down the line because I don't see it right now. Uh, Chris Gardner says, as we approach Dominic Mysterio's debut match, do you think he has to be awesome off the uh, off the bat to get over? One would assume the match will be rehearsed to the nines like Ronda's matches to make sure he looks as good as possible. But if he doesn't perform, will that ruin him in the eyes of fans who just see him as a nepotistic hire to make sure Ray doesn't go to AEW? He seems to have real potential and it would be a shame to see him get forced into action too early for possibly cynical reasons. So I definitely think that given the fact that he's Rey Mysterio's son, he does have that immense amount of pressure where he does have to perform well. Uh, however, I do think with how WWE has booked him, instead of like, you know, they didn't say, okay, yeah, he's been training. We all know that, right? But they more of brought him in as, you know, the son who's getting retribution for his dad. He's not he's not portrayed as a wrestler per se. Um, and they've given him more of the, you know, they've given him weapons to use. They've given him all of that. He just took this horrendous beating on Monday Night Raw, which I'm sure made everybody all of a sudden like an instant fan. And the thing is that I've said this on the Raw podcast is that I can't buy Dominic as like a legit upset person like I can't see him that way like I just don't see it like I see the baby face I see the you know the jolly happy kid that's what I see so I do think that he has to what with however way however they decide to work this match whatever style he goes with he has to do it well and yeah, that's it because yeah. if not it's just not gonna work and like, yeah, I think, you know, what uh, Chris was saying there as well, I think there will always be those people that will just have cynical viewpoints on this and you're never going to change their minds. Like Rhonda had those those people. We, you know, had a lot of mailbag questions and sort of comments and stuff back in the past when, when Rhonda debuted that didn't like her before her first match and didn't like her after that match, despite how good the match was and how good she was in that match. So I think you're never going to turn around those detractors. But I do think, yeah, if he goes out there and kind of like the match is really bad, it's not it's not the great it's not the best first stepping point however man i couldn't have picked a better person to put him in there than seth rollins like you know what a guy to carry him through a match i've said this thing about pat mccafe as well you put him in there with adam cole adam cole's gonna be able to lead that man to a good match uh so yeah so i'm i'm hopeful for this um i'm just i'm really i've got my fingers crossed so tightly that dominic is charlotte and not david flair like that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. No disrespect to David Flair, but there's a little yeah. bit of disrespect to David Flair. Uh Jobber JJ, hello you beautiful people. Uh, my question is uh, if you did your own pay-per-view, what would you call it and who would you book yourself against? Oh, so I mean if it's my own pay-per-view, I would call it like Denise Mania. That's super <laughs> basic, but that's just off the top of my head. I don't have anything else more amazing. Was it Dizzlemania? A bagel mania. A bagel, bagel mania. There you go. Bagel cream cheese mania. Or okay. <laughs> uh and I would book myself against I would if I this is in an alternative world, okay? Alternative world. I would book myself against Shawn Michaels. And it would be a ladder match main event. There you go. <laughs> it's so outrageous. I can't remember where I mean. I think me and Ollie were talking about this on a, a Patreon uh, exclusive video for our hundred dollar backers. But like when I was a teenager, my uh, you know you sort of like you 
you you wrestle your your, your tennis and whatnot, your pillows and whatnot, and you're sort of like uh, re- reality, your fake fake world that you've built. In my sort of like alternate reality world where I was a wrestler, I was the third brother of the Undertaker and Kane. So. <laughs> Was that your fantasy? That was. I was like, yeah, if I was if I was brought into WWE, that's the story that I would do is I would be brought in as the third brother at five foot ten. You know, I would definitely fit in with them. But now I'm going to bring that back and I am going to be the third brother of the Undertaker. But the one that really doesn't fit in because I'm five foot ten and very scrawny. And that's the like, and it's a six man tag. It's it's me, Kane and the Undertaker versus uh, I don't know. Who's a good three-man faction versus the shield, uh, like proper like heel shield. And uh, yeah, I'm there to be like fighting for the the my brothers, the Undertaker and Kane. That is hilarious. I would love to see your your costume, what you <laughs> look like, what are your what's your color scheme? I I I, I want to see a drawing of this at some point. <laughs> Well, if we're going by my uh, No Mercy uh, character on the N64, um, I was basically wearing, I, I basically wore jeans and like the, the, the Hardy's mesh top because it was, you know, 2000 okay, and that was cool. Denim's not going to go with Kane Undertaker. I just don't see the he denim was, he, there. He was Bike Taker at the time though, so like maybe I could get away with it if he was still Biker Taker. I think you uh, would be the Spike of your team, <laughs> the Spike Dudley of your team. <laughs> yes, that's what I want to be. I want to be the Spike Dudley of the team. Yes. Uh, Jim, that James Dillon says, um, Alistair Black has been posting some pretty cryptic messages on Instagram, and many of his recent posts also contain blacked out images. Do you think he'll be part of Retribution? Um, I hope not. I, yeah. I, I hope not. I, I don't know what that would mean, but I just, I don't see it at all. I don't yeah, me and I talked about this with the Raw podcast, but I'm kind of hoping that the this group now, the one that's sort of like throwing stuff through the window, a bit of a red herring, they're not the actual group. And there's sort of like, some, you know, kind of like the Dark Order have got like their creepers. Like I want these to be like the creepers, not the actual main lot, because man, they're unlikable douchebags at the like moment. The warning sort of like, sign. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's it hasn't been good. And I, I didn't like the whole shot on SmackDown where they had like the the talent was like all terrified and then they came in and they have bats. And I'm like, why don't you grab a bat? Go you can grab a weapon in the back too and you know go head to head with these guys. <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah. an idea. I'd also like if I mean, I don't know where we're going with Retribution just yet, but I'd like to see them as a, a group of new talent that's being brought up as opposed to us just sort of taking pre existing talent and putting them into the group. Maybe that would be a good idea. I, I mean, anything that just re- rewires our brain and how we're responding to this. Al says, um, could the issue with WWE's ratings not be the long-term storytelling or the lack thereof, but the fact that they barely announced matches ahead of time? You probably know more about next week's AEW than you do this week's SmackDown. I do feel that they do announce stuff ahead of time you know like the the randy orton big show match was announced like two weeks ahead of it going out I, I, championship monday was announced sort of like ahead of time i feel like they do a pretty good job of announcing maybe not so much on the show but certainly on their social channels and on the website they're very much announcing matches ahead of time i feel like we're yeah in terms of social media i feel on mondays we get a lot of announcements in the day of though for raw and which makes sense but and then uh 
for NXT, we do tend to get a little bit more like, hey, this is what we're going to see happening next week. I think, if anything, that's probably the show that does it the most. Um, for SmackDown, I almost just feel like it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of everything else that's been posted. I almost feel like they need to do, yeah, more promotion on that because from what we've seen, it works. I mean, look at what happened with Impact when they started announcing all of these talents that were being signed or this is happening and all of the stuff that they did. And next thing you know, they end up getting tons of views for the pay-per-view. So it's like, it works. Like promoting stuff actually works. I mean, it, if only there had been some sort of history that it could have shown us that promoting wrestling would work. Uh, Flaming Live says, with Xavier Woods saying he wants to wrestle Kenny Omega, I had a thought. What if WWE fired all of their scriptwriters, let wrestlers say what they want, and let them do promos however they want? What if Vince McMahon wasn't such a hard ass and let the talents who are not infused to go to other shows and work and let them uh, not sit and rot at home being bored? Uh, it would get them more exposure, give the fans dream matches. I'm not saying this would never happen just uh, like your opinions on this idea i could definitely not see it happening in <laughs> yeah. terms of all the writers being fired and here's the thing though is that yeah definitely having the guys put their own creative input would definitely help out their characters but not i don't not all the talent can necessarily cut a promo i mean we have some gems with you know bray wyatt uh, uh, with uh, with Daniel Bryan, I mean, it's just not everybody can do that. That's not everybody has that skill. So some people need the writers to put something together for them. But at the same time, yeah, creative input helps because you yourself know your character, so you can elevate it and bring it, make it that much better. But I I don't see it happening. Yeah. Uh, Nick Corvello says, just curious if you happen to see Dasha Gonzalez uh, during her deadly draw match teaming up with Rachel Ellering against Ivelisse and Diamante. Felt Dasha did really well despite her uh, level of experience and uh, she looked like a pro when she was taking bumps and selling punches and other moves. Uh, I haven't seen the full match. I've only seen the first half of uh, the deadly draw uh, this week's episode. I've had yeah, I didn't see week. that. Yeah, but uh, from what I've heard, that yeah, she she pretty much held her own in there. I know that um, Diamante and Ivelisse uh, advanced, um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I like Dasha. I think she's a really, really great talent. Um, yeah, if, like, and if, if you want to sort of bolster up your women's division, like you know, um, Nick kind of sort of like fantasy booked her sort of in a feud with Britt Baker because of sort of the connections that she's got with Tony Schiavone and this and the other. So yeah, I think there's probably something you could do with Dasha if if people wanted to see it enough. Definitely. If it, if if you if you go about things the right way, I think anybody can be convinced to like watch anything as long as it's brought in a good light, presented in a good light. Carter Nelson, uh, I personally love watching genuinely bad wrestling like Hogan and Warrior from WCW. But my question is, what is your least favorite match to watch? For me, it's the 1999 Royal Rumble I Quit match between Rock and Mankind, a match that genuinely and as this is my uh, Ezra here, a match that genuinely makes me feel very queasy and i do not like watching that match anymore i don't have one yeah i was, I was trying to think like if, if there's a match that like i gen it really is rock versus mankind because the the amount of chair shots in that match made me feel and actually like the the hell in a cell undertaker mankind one sort of in hindsight makes me feel a bit sort of uneasy as well because really? I, well only because like i saw the way that mankind moved before that match and i saw the way that he limped after that match and it's like 
you kind of like, I mean, full, you know, fair credit to him for completely putting his body on the line for it for our entertainment. But like, I also feel kind of guilty in a way that I'm like, you did that for us. And now you really struggled to walk. And you hear the stories that Mick Foley tells, like, you know, he once drove past his house because he forgot where he lives. And I'm like, oh, sorry, Mick. I'm sorry. I cheered so much when you did all of that. I don't think it's crazy, but if you, if you if you see it in that perspective, I get what you mean. But I don't have some like a match that I can't watch. However, there is a match that I watch differently now. So the only reason that I watch this match differently is because okay, so it was a uh, Brock Taker when Brock uh, when Brock basically ended his streak. So mm -hmm. the only reason why I see that match differently now is because Undertaker went on to say that he he doesn't that at some point he 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 blacked out. He doesn't remember a thing that happened, and I get sad when I think about it because I'm like. Think of the Undertaker's legacy, you know, especially with WrestleMania. And then that moment when your streak finally ends and you don't remember any of it. That's pretty sad, man. I, yeah. I, I kind of got emotional when he told that story. And so I see that match differently, but that's not necessarily like I'm, it's, it doesn't mean I'm not going to stop watching it. I just see it differently now. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Uh, as I said before, when my wife watched the first episode of The Last Ride, because I was told, hey, you know, it's for non-wrestling fans will like it as well. She couldn't watch any more than the first episode because you've said it's too sad to watch this old man uh, do something that's killing him. <laughs> that's just, that's really, but in the first episode, that was the one where they were showing the, the shots that he was getting to the knee. He yeah. had to be in the golf cart like, just to get from place to place. And I didn't realize it was that bad for him until... Yeah watching the last ride and so i see why she would say this because it it was kind of sad to watch i remember texting my fiance saying like man i didn't realize it was this bad for the undertaker like this is just sad uh mansoor <laughs> is my favorite wrestler ever says hey luke i've been studying raw a lot for the last few weeks and noticed there's a trend happening i know you cannot deny lights going uh off in your own place especially when you're tired my question is and be honest are you part of retribution I'm honestly not sure what you mean by that, Mansoor, but I'm 100% not part of uh, Retribution. There are no cinder blocks around here. Alex Kirkman says, um, telling the audience what will be on the show or surprising the audience to get viewers for the week after through word of mouth. So like, you know, the sort of promotional tactics. Do you tell your audience in advance, hey, Ric Flair's going to be on the show, or do you have the surprise that Ric Flair's on the show and then get that through word of mouth? What do you think is the better promotional tactic? Okay, so I'm on opposite ends on this because my fiance, he always likes the spoilers. He's all about the spoilers and knowing ahead of time. And I'm completely opposite. I'm let this be a surprise. I don't want to know anything. I want to go in this not knowing anything. So I really do think it just comes down to a person's personality. I love the element of surprise. I want to go in and watch raw and know and think, Hey, anything can happen. And that's the kind of thing that I like, but some people, they want to have a little idea of what they're getting into. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know I write the rest talk news with Ollie, and I you know I've been doing it this week while Pete's been off. Um, I wanted to make sure I'd watch Raw before I had to write the news because I didn't want anything spoiled for me, which seems like and I'm not massively massively invested in Raw storylines at the moment, but still 
I want things spoiled for me. Like I want to, I want to experience it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I remember when the spoiler came out for Keith Lee, uh, you know, becoming double champion, I thought, man, that ruined it. It ruined it for me. Like, I'm going to be honest. Like for me, it wasn't, I, I didn't want to know. And so it took that excitement away from me. And I thought maybe more people would feel that way, but it turned out they didn't. They got killer ratings for that. And I was like, whoa, I was completely wrong on this. So maybe I'm just on the losing side of this argument. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was, I think that 100% that photo was posted on purpose to drive. I 100% believe that the, the, the recruit that posted that po photo was told to post it and then delete the post and sort of like drive this whole like intrigue around this to make people watch the next show. No, you know, like when WCW said, hey, McFoley's winning the title on this episode of Raw everyone switched over to, to watch the title change. Like, I wonder if there was a little bit of that in there. That That's me tinfoil hat thinking, but like, I, I think it was done on purpose. But I remember wow. when we are talking about like the thumbnail for that episode's news, like, you know, how the spoiler was leaked. Laurie was furious because we accidentally spoiled it for him. He was very, very annoyed. See, I, I I'm on his side 100%. It's, it's annoying for me and it did ruin it for me. But I just, I didn't see it as something that was done on purpose. But at the same time, you don't see these mistakes happening in WWE in terms of somebody leaking information like that. It just doesn't make sense at all. So mm -hmm. I get, I feel like you're bringing a conspiracy theory and I'm the person that loves conspiracy theories and I, I, I'll fall for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eli Garcia says, instead of asking uh, you to book a cross promotion show, I've got a question about talent sharing. Let's say in a different world, the major wrestling companies were able to share talent and appear on each other's shows, similar to the territory system. What would that look like? Would only lower card people appear on other shows to make them look stronger, always leading to big, big cross promotion programs or would there be companies where world champions uh, ever cross over? I think the territory days is kind of hard to kind of compare the two because it was you know, it's very localized. That's why you know they were territories. You would have a, a certain group of stars that were there for a period of time, then they would go off to another different territory. Now we're in a period where you'd be watching these guys in a territory here around the world, and then just moving over to this other show, and we're still watching that around the world. It, it, I think it's kind of hard to compare the two. And I, I don't think we'll ever be in a world. I mean, I know we're saying like, well, let's sort of be in a different world. I don't know what it would even look like. You know, you just sort of like, I'm just jumping from company to company. I don't think I would like that whatsoever. I'm, I'm a strickler for you're in this company. You stick to that company. If you want to jump over at some point in the future, that's fine with me. But I like the idea of people belonging to one company. And I, I, I just like that. And I know like even prior before COVID, you know, we were seeing a lot of talent bounce around especially like with uh you know mlw and we were seeing people on AEW and impact and all of that we were seeing you know different uh, a lot of the different talent and i just kind of felt like i i felt like people were trying to get certain matches in and i just prefer the idea of building stuff around it and making it that much grander and happening it happening in the place where it's supposed to happen versus you know everybody going everywhere however it but I can't say that I feel like that's 90% of my opinion. I think my other 10% still kind of like some wrestlers going from place to place. So I'm a little bit torn on this one, but I, yeah. I do like the idea of people sticking to one place. So 
And I also feel that if you have people jumping from promotion to promotion, you don't then get that like, oh my God, this person was fired from this company where they're going to go yes. next. Like, you put your friends in impact, like in the big buzz that they generated around the fact that, hey, all of those fired stars are coming here uh, with Matt Cardona going to AEW, Brody Lee showing up in, in AEW. Like you don't get that same kind of excitement because that they're all just allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> Exactly. I think you took the words out of my mouth completely because that's one of the things that I love. Like, I love to study when there's like a free agent, right? I love to know what company said, hey, this is what I'm, I'm offering. Okay, this is what I'm offering. And I love to know how the decisions were made about whether or not you choose to go to this company or that company. And I think that's exciting. Like as a fan, I like to know that kind of stuff. So, so I think, yeah, 100%. I agree with you on that. I'm going to steal uh, your answer. <laughs> sorry, I've stolen plenty of your answers. Uh, ben Walker said, I recently watched the first TNA Ultimate X match, and it was a complete disaster with the X constantly falling down. I'm surprised they did it again. Uh, and I'm glad they did it, as it's one of my favorite match types. My question is, what match uh, had a bad first run that you were glad was given a second chance? And what's one that you wish had a second chance but didn't? Oh, that's a really tough question because I'm brainstorming here and I'm trying to think because a lot of the first matches that we got, I liked, you know, at Elimination Chamber. I liked it right from the start. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh. Yeah, because like I think a lot of the matches that I'm thinking of, although I'm, I'm trying to sort of rack my brain up, all had good first runs. You know, Hell in a Cell had a great first run. Ladder matched in, it had a great first run. Tables matches. Um uh, yeah elimination chamber tlc money in the bank like they all had like really good first runs like i'm, I'm trying to think of a match that had a like a bad it, the ones that had like bad runs were like the punjabi prison you know which which didn't work and i think a lot of people were like yeah i don't really need to see that match type again uh or um what was the the, the tna one when they had the dome i can't remember what it was called now but they had this like big red dome thing and you had to cr you had to climb around the dome and yes, through yes, the hole yes. at the top to get through and homicide got caught because he couldn't like loop his leg around to get over i kind of wish they didn't do that one again okay yeah but i'm trying to think of one that i liked that i'm like oh. what i haven't i have like an alternative answer so uh the women's money in the bank when carmella won but she wasn't the one who actually grabbed it that was upsetting yeah I, like it it, it it kind of ruined that match a little bit but it did but not enough for me to say, oh, it was horrible. But that was just yeah. something that stuck in my mind. And I, I don't even remember like the exact details on it. I just remember that sticking in my head. Yeah. Uh, that's a very good question, uh, though, Ben. Really, really good. Uh, Luke Graham says, glad to have Denise every Friday now. Um, if you could and it was logical, whose gimmick would you give to someone else on the main roster? I'd really like to see the Gargano's new gimmick uh, with a heel pairing of Montez Ford and Bianca Belair. I think they could really pull something like that off. Oh, that's a good one, too. I think that... Oh, this one's really tough. I'm, okay. I'm going to... I was going to say, before you... I'm going to... I've I, I just thought of one then. I'm going to say giving Alistair Black carrying crosses gimmick of just sort of like this warning that is coming because like because Alistair Black's got you know the black mask just wiping people out. This you know this doomsday warning that's coming to get you. Like if it's with the entrance, uh, I think that would be that's pretty rad. You know what I think is hilarious is that you were thinking Alistair Black 
I was thinking Alistair Black, but I was thinking Drew McIntyre's gimmick for Alistair Black. But now that you said Karrion Cross, I was like, no, that one's way better. So <laughs> I'm swapping my answer. But it, it's funny that we were both thinking Alistair Black. And you could put Zelina Vega in the um, the Scarlet Bordeaux role. There you go. That too. Oh my God. I don't know. And even just like with Sasha Banks or, or Liv Morgan, like she could, Oh, I would give her, like, if I could, I would give her the Lita thing, like the, mm. the extreme girl, that sort of stuff, the edgy, cool one that all the young girls want to be. I would give that to Liv Morgan. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't lean more into like that Harley Quinn aspect of her character. Like that she was in the, when she was in the first and the right squad, she was like the Harley Quinn type role, right? Like I didn't know why they didn't lean more into that now because I mean, I, to be honest, I don't know what her character is now. I, I don't know either. But she's certainly not the Harley Quinn type that she once was. I have one more. Uh, Rey Mysterio to Ali. Because I mm. did say that Ali has like the potential to be like that like that guy for like the kids and Rey Mysterio was huge with kids. So because of that, I would give some aspect of Rey Mysterio's character to Ollie, not the exact character, but some aspect of it. And finally, Neon Palette says, hello, Luke and Denise. My question for you uh, to you is this, what do you think AEW can do to improve their women's division uh, on top of just putting them on TV? This four to five minutes per episode is ridiculous and needs to change, but I think that more needs to be done. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Now, I think I've I've kind of spoken at length about this in the AEW podcast. Like, I feel like every week it's it's become a bit of a broken record for us that we're just like, man, this is it's just it's embarrassing in, in 2020 that they're not doing anything like this two minute squash match that she had this week and then what was the promo oh she's gonna get a promo after the match what's the promo i'd need i'd like a challenger oh well cool like she had that promo four weeks ago like nothing's progressing here for me it's it's storylines like we just need some like we've got the the brit baker storyline is the only storyline they've got going on in the women's division outside of the draw that you know the deadly draw that's on youtube some storylines that are based around characters that are going after that doesn't need to be going after the title, but just feels like there's something storylines are driving narratives. And yeah, I think that's, that's what they kind of need at the moment. Yes. I'm going to add to that. I'm going to say that they need to get women that are exceptional workers that can work with some of the other women that maybe are a little bit more green mm -hmm. uh, to help them. Uh, you know, you want some Natalia's on your roster, somebody like that, that can work with all the girls and, you know, just kind of get them to that next level. Because, you know, obviously they have something if they're there, but some of them are still a little bit, still a little bit green. So I think that having somebody that can help them work more and yeah. have them on the shows would definitely help that out. I wonder if you can get that because the Eva Lee's is now doing a lot of stuff with them. You know, she's been doing this for nearly 20 years. Like, you know, could she be that sort of, you know, person who's like the veteran that's in there. Because you mentioned like Natalia, and you're right, like that sort of veteran class yes. that is like, I, okay, let I will sit down. We'll we'll have a lot of you know, we'll have some training sessions, and I'm just sort of guide you through. You know how kind of like Sarah Del Rey did this for the NXT uh, women's talents. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Actually, someone who was there to be like, let's let's guide this, and let's 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 talk about how we can all improve this together. 100%. And I mean, they were doing some stuff with Vicky and Nyla that I thought was pretty cool. That was different. And I would like to see that elevated with more women included, obviously. So, uh, so yeah, and definitely more timing.
Yeah, absolutely. But that is all we have got time for on this edition. Very sorry for keeping you up so late, Denise. No, I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> it's totally fine with me. I'm I'm still gonna stay up and watch TV, so I won't even be going to bed anytime soon. <laughs> Hey, so what are your plans for the weekend? So my plans for the weekend, ooh, you know what? I'm going to Cracker Barrel on a road trip. No, okay, yeah. so I my first introduction to Cracker Barrel was through AEW because they had the Crackle Barrel. The Cracker Barrel Clash, right? So like I I hadn't heard of this place. And then we people were telling us like what sort of place it is, and I was like, hmm, I'd, I'd like to go to this place. We don't have them in the UK. So uh, so is this what's your experience with with Cracker Barrel? So I also discovered Cracker Barrel through the Young Bucks. I saw that they would <laughs> go there and eat there all the time. There's not, I have to drive an hour, a, a little bit over an hour to get to a Cracker Barrel. Whoa. And that's the closest one. There's no Cracker Barrel by my house. So I have to drive to go get Cracker Barrel. And so I got it in some random town when I was doing a Las Vegas road trip. And I tried it and it was amazing. And now I want to go all the time. <laughs> So, we eat in the car. We eat in the car. It's great. Uh, so who are you going with? With my fiance. It's it's going to be his birthday this weekend. So we're going to oh, we're going to cool. celebrate by eating. Have you guys got like a date set or anything? Yeah, the wedding date? Yeah. July 18, 2021 and hopefully COVID is like oh. done with by then because I already paid people. <laughs> and Matt, I mean, as someone who has been down that road, that's expensive. Like, it's not cheap. It, it's, it's not. I, I'm so thankful that I have a lot of friends that are extremely talented and extremely giving. And they're like, Denise, we will help you out with this. This is our gift. We will offer you free services. Aww. And I'm like, thank you so much. But uh, there are some other things that I obviously have to pay for. So, are, are there any details of the wedding that you can divulge to us? Huh. There's going to be a theme for the wedding. <gasps> Okay, what's the theme? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm going to say it because it's not that shocking. There's going to be a Taylor Swift theme to it. It's not going to be like <laughs> her face everywhere. It's going to be tasteful, like very, very minimal. Only certain people would know. So, yeah, right. so okay. it's, it's a little theme, a, a little one. <laughs> yeah, kind of like I, I think so. Like when we, uh, me and my wife got married, we, uh, we got married in October. And so we, and we're like, Halloween's like our favorite period of time. And we love like awesome. So we kind of had, we didn't specifically say, oh, it's, it's an autumnal theme to this wedding with, but we also sort of like, you know, there were pumpkins on the table. That was part of like our, um, uh, what do they call them? Table centers. Oh, the centerpieces thank you very much yeah. yes so yeah we had like pumpkins around like all our color schemes for our um everything was sort of like autumnal colors but we didn't explicitly say by the way guys this is uh <laughs> this is an awesome wedding <laughs> right right no i get you 100 that's exactly what i'm doing but like yeah no one's gonna know it unless you like know it <laughs> know it <laughs> I'm now. Um, I'm not going to press you further any questions on that, but I'm so no, curious. Fine. What, I don't yeah, care. Like, fine. What, what is it? What is a subtle Taylor Swift reference? Okay, fine, fine. But if anyone steals my idea, <laughs> if any like Swifties are out there and they're like, "Oh, this is a great idea. I'm taking it. I'm gonna be very upset." So I, I'm planning on like you know how people have like table numbers, like table one, table two, table three. You you have to sit. You you tell mm -hmm. your guests to sit at that table. Well, instead of numbers, it's going to be like, "Oh, you're sitting at." 
love story and it's the names of her songs and then when you go there's gonna be like a framed lyric of like that song that coincides with your table so it's very very minimal but Mm -hmm. it's just a little something to make me feel like oh that's very cool. So, I mean, we, we had, um, as were film names that were like, uh, there were films that were pivotal to our relationship. So it was like the first film we went on a date to go and see together and like uh, Kate's favorite film and, and my favorite film and like our favorite film together. The first time that I told Kate, uh, like, oh, there's a song in this movie that makes me think of you. And that was like our first dance as well. And so we had things like uh, that. And uh, my friends, uh, their wedding, they're big um, Studio Ghibli fans. So all of their table centers were named after Studio Ghibli movies. And when you sat down at your table, you all had a piece of paper that had part of the um, uh, part of the plot. So you could then read together. It's like an introductory thing. Oh, wow. Like, so it's well, interactive. Got... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, well, I've got the first part here. Uh, this is the first part of the plot. It's like number one and then Dove's number two. And, and you go around the table to kind of tell the whole plot of the movie. There's a really cool way to kind of like introduce people if you've never met them before. That's really awesome. I, I could steal that idea. I could have people piece the lyric. There, I said, nobody steal my idea. Now I'm stealing your idea. <laughs> no, but I love that. The movie thing. Like, I just think that personalizing like something like that just makes it extra special. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where are you getting married? Uh, Long Beach. it's like a it's like this by the queen mary it's like this harbor area so you get like a nice downtown view of long beach the skyline you get some water i don't even like water but it looks nice i was like whatever (laughs) you not like water no i have like a really big phobia of large bodies of water yeah remember we were talking about phobias on the on the on the live stream show and i yes, um, that's right yes yes and i don't know if i mentioned it but that's my phobia like large bodies of water and waves i can't like i physically cannot like i get so scared which makes no sense because i'm able to conquer my fear but i'm still terrified of it like waterfalls creep me out i can't see waves <laughs> like crashing you know crashing on like the edge of whatever like the sand i can't i can't you don't yeah. win against the ocean so i <laughs> I can't, I've literally, I'm I'm like, so when I was about like 16, we went to San Pedro and we were by the rocks, my family and I, and the water came and it like touched me and I got so scared. I like peed my pants, like no lie. I peed my pants from fear. Okay. Now this is a long time ago, so I could share this story. I've moved on from the embarrassment, but I'm terrified of or, or like seeing water come from both sides of you or like being on a pier and there's only water on the sides of you. No, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, I was, a, I don't know, yeah, because you, you posted a picture recently of like that time you met CM Punk. And yeah. I all the picture now is that little tiny, because I did say it's like, oh my God, you look so tiny in that photo. Like I honestly thought you were about sort of 13, 14. You're like, no, I was like 19 in that photo. I was 19 in that photo. That was 2011. So I don't, I, I think I look small because they were on a platform. I'm short. Uh, I'm five feet. Okay. So I'm short already as it is, but they were on a platform. And also I was freaking out over CM Punk, like freaking out. So I was doing the high and my body was leaning forward and I was leaning back and I was jumping up and down. It, it was embarrassing. So, yeah. um, so that I, makes uh, way more sense. Yeah. So I was like leaning forward. And so that's, that's what happened. That's what you saw. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, I, was like, cause I had no idea how tall you were anyway. And I was like, I don't think it is that short, but like five, like my, my short, I'm yeah. like a bliss short. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm Selena Vega short. That's where I'm yeah. at now. Yeah, I mean, you be you, my wife's five foot nothing, so uh, you're in you're in good company. Right. Yes, thank okay. you. <laughs> in good company. Um, yeah. So uh, I thought I'd better let you get on with the rest of your day. You said you said you're going to be watching TV. You're going to be staying up late. You've got anything on the box that you're planning on watching? Yes, I'm rewatching. Uh, well, not rewatching. I'm watching. I like to watch old shows that I've never seen before. So I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore right now and I'm on season four. And so I like to go back and watch like old shows and just, you know, that's just how I relax. So that's what I'll be doing tonight. Okay, well, I'm going to put a call out then. Support at WrestleTalk.com. Give us an email. Send me some suggestions for old shows for her to watch next. Uh, I'm going to put mine out there, though. Um, Are you a Twilight Zone fan? Oh, I've seen Twilight Zone. Yes, um, the hitchhiker. Are you kidding me? That's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't even look at the picture of the guy that does the hitchhiker with a thumbs up. My biggest fear is that one day the same exact storyline is going to happen to me. <laughs> okay, that was going to be my suggestion because it's my favorite TV show of all time. Like, I, I love, 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 love the original Twilight Zone series. It's so, so great. Yeah. So, so good. But yeah, right. Well, you go off and you watch Mary Tyler Moore. Um, where can people find you on social media, Denise? Twitter and Instagram at underscore Denise Salcedo. I'm super active. I respond to everybody who's nice. I respond to everybody. And so, yeah, and I play games. So come on on there, uh, youtube.com slash Denise Salcedo. Absolutely. Go check out our interview with Kurt Angle. It's really, really good. Yeah. Everyone was picking up on it. It was really, really great. Yes. Great to see you, so right? I was yeah. so happy. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. Have a nice weekend, everyone. Uh, Ollie will be doing the SmackDown podcast tomorrow with Randy Andy Datsun, so give that a listen tomorrow. And then Ollie and I will be back for the Raw review next week as we gear up for SummerSlam. It's oh, it's a lot of lot of shows coming up. There's like three pay per views in three weeks. It's going to be a busy, busy time. So I hope you enjoy your podcast. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care. I love you. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 